The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for July 24th, 2017. Episode 25. 25! Alex, we are not in Denver. What are we doing in the desert? Uh, Rob, it's hot. It's really, really hot. Alex and I are in Las Vegas. We're here to to kick off the Black Hat Week. Uh, We're going to be here for a long, long time, right? Uh, Not so much. No, not not too long. Um, In... In and out. Yeah. So, so although this, you know, this, they call it what uh, hacker summer camp in Vegas goes for a full week. I'm only here for Sunday and Monday, uh, as I'm here for the ISSA CISO events. And Alex, you're just here another day or two, right? Yeah, I'm here a little bit longer than that. Uh, but yeah, here for the CISO event, and then a little bit more after that. But while we are, we're physically in Vegas, our minds and our, our hearts are still in Denver. Right. Of course. They never leave. Well, let's go ahead and, and get back to where our hearts are. Uh, in the news this week, Bojo's on Colorado Boulevard is closing after 40 years of delivering mediocre pizza. How do you feel about that? <laughs> how do you feel uh, about that? I, I think, Rob, you've already stated how you feel about that. Um, you know, the, the, the Bojo's is good pizza. It's very nostalgic. Um, you know, I've eaten at the one uh, in Idaho Springs many times. A couple times the one on Colorado Boulevard. So I'm not, you know, super disappointed at that one closing. Um but again, you know, end of a legend. Yeah. It uh, is it is inconvenient. Whenever folks come from out of town, they always want to go to the place that has honey for your pizza crust. And uh, of course, that's that's what that's what Bojo's has brought to our uh, to our expectations. Yeah. Uh, next on the list, uh, Comcast is launching an Internet of Things network in Denver. So uh, they're bringing a it's what they're calling Machine Q. Um, it's it's a a sensor network, so uh, trying to bring a, a different method of communication to uh, Internet of Things devices. Uh, they list a bunch of uh, different use cases in this article. Um, you know, sort of, I think a little bit far out there for a number of them, but they're, I think, they're trying to expand their reach. Um, this is, I think, a different sort of low power network as opposed to the the traditional IP network that you may know Comcast for. Um, the first thing, obviously, that comes to my mind is, you know, I don't think of Comcast and security necessarily in the same breath. So uh, hopefully they're putting some security resources into this machine queue network. Well, it's very cool. There are only 20 cities that this is go- – or excuse me, 12. 12 cities this is going to originally and, and of course, Denver is one of those. Uh, be looking forward to seeing where this goes and what kind of functionality it offers. Uh, next on the list, the Denver City Auditor has found a security issue with – the city's 311 system. So 311 is the non-emergency version of 911. You can call 311 to, to ask questions without you know, raising the alarm. Uh, but there was an issue found where uh, the vendor, who's it looks like it's Salesforce, is, who's, who's being used for this, had access to, um, to citizens' uh, PII after they called, including social security numbers and some other sensitive information. Yeah, um, I- Kudos to the Denver auditors for for checking into this and figuring it out and uh, and letting the security folks in Denver know so they get it corrected. Um, I think this you know is one of those issues where you got to make sure that you're doing your your third party due diligence and uh, and checking your vendors, making sure that they're securing your data in the way that you expect them to. Yeah, and it certainly is not easy. Uh, so no no huge surprise that there might be an issue with with vendor risk man- risk management there. Yeah. So next, um, last week we talked about the. Uh, 
Cyber Patriot Summer Camp that the Air Force Academy is doing. And uh, Dan Massey, uh, also we talked about him um, being joining Secure 64. And uh, Dan wrote in, he uh, helps coach a middle school uh, Cyber Patriot team and wanted to let us know that you know uh, Cyber Patriot is a great thing. He's very passionate about it. And he wanted to challenge everyone to um, sort of semi-quoting here, uh, not just complain about cybersecurity workforce gap, but to help fix it. So uh, donate some time and help coach you know middle school, high school kids in Cyber Patriot or some other version of uh, of cybersecurity training for for young kids. Yeah, we've talked quite a bit about Cyber Patriot, Cyber Cyber Girls, and uh, really. I think it's a big part of trying to get the next generation ready for uh, filling that work gap and, and getting more diversity into the workforce. So appreciate, Dan, your, your note there. And, of course, we definitely uh, recommend those of you listening that you take this seriously and help help you a part of the solution. Uh, so Ping Identity was named Applied Materials Supplier of the Year. This is a you – know, you know, I work at Ping. This is one of the uh, kind of most proud things we've seen. Applied Materials is – uh, a very large multinational organization with a, a, a huge supplier ecosystem. Ping was named the, the number one vendor for, for the year based on helping solve a complex problem with single sign-on for their mobile apps in their environment. Anyway, awesome. Pretty cool stuff. Kudos to Ping Identity. Uh, next on the list, uh, there was a profile this week in uh, Denver Business Journal of Alex Kryline of SecureSet. Um, Alex is uh, someone that we have interviewed on the podcast before. And uh, it was just neat to see him profiled here. Um, it's actually a, a video profile, so if you go to the link we have in the show notes, um, you can uh, see the interview with him. Uh, we did reach out to Alex for some comments, and uh, while he was uh, – the profile is on him, he was very gracious in mentioning the other folks at SecureSet along with him that are leading that effort, not just him. Yeah, so Dave Odom is another leader of SecureSet, and Alex wanted to make sure we – Specifically called out Dave and say, you know, it's not just Alex who's, who's leading up that, that initiative. So, Alex, thanks a lot, and we're really glad to see that, you know, more visibility for security in Denver. Uh, Automox, we mentioned Automox last week when they were giving that CVE explanation blog post. Uh, we didn't realize Automox just actually came out of stealth mode this week, so since the last time we recorded so uh, I guess we jumped the gun. We, <laughs> we know more than everybody else. Uh, to, be, to be fair, you might not want to subscribe, uh, post blog posts while you're in stealth mode. Well, you, you know. know. But, but regardless, uh, congratulations to those guys for uh, officially coming out. They're in Boulder uh, there, and they're really working on patching and having an innovative solution to getting patches applied to your infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next on the list, uh, Red Canary put out a, a blog post this week. Um, and it's more a set of blog posts. Really, it's um, a number of different resources about threat hunting and uh, and how you can do threat hunting, uh, different things around threat hunting. So uh, check out the link that we have in the show notes. It, it'll link you to a number of stories and resources that they have, uh, some on-demand webinars and videos uh, about threat hunting. Uh, you know, it is the, the topic du jour. So uh, check that out and uh, and figure out how to do threat hunting yourself. Yeah, that was really neat. We we certainly we got a note um, about that collection of uh, resources from Brianne Hauk from Red Canary, and we actually got several different notes this week from different folks with with uh, articles for us to cover. We appreciate that, um, and we recommend you know if you guys see something in the news you, you'd like to hear about on the show and get our take, uh, send us a note. We'll we'll look at covering it. Yeah, keep them coming. Thanks. 
the final news this week, well, second to final, ProtectWise, actually Tom Hagel over at ProtectWise has, has released some new research on the Winty uh, Threat Actor Group. And it, we, we have a, a post to that in there. But basically this is a summary of a threat actor group and talking about the kind of attacks they've done. Really interesting stuff. And it's cool to see that this kind of research is coming out of a, a Denver headquartered security company. Yeah, lots of detailed information in there. Uh, going really deep into uh, this particular threat actor. Um, it's some great research there. Uh, final thing on the list here, we've talked about previously, uh, CTA has their CISO of the Year Award um, as part of their Apex Awards. Um, so the those nominations are still open. So if you are a CISO or if you are someone who knows a good CISO and you want to nominate them, uh, head on out there and, and nominate them for CISO of the Year. And I'd say this is an opportunity for us to reinforce this fantastic progress that we made by even getting this award added. Until this year, there had never been a CISO of the Year award included in the Apex Awards. Uh, the last thing we want to see is that they put the award out there and they get two nominations. So if you guys know someone who you think might deserve the award, please go ahead and, and nominate them. Let's uh, Let's – blow up their inbox with fantastic nominations of people who are really doing good stuff in security in the Denver area. Yeah, exactly. So let's go into the counter of events. Just as a reminder, we do have on our website, colorado-security.com, a list of all of the events coming up in the area over the next several months. Uh, and of course, on the show, we just go through the next week or two. So first on the list, um, the National Cybersecurity Center in Colorado Springs is having the uh, Cyber Patriot Cyber Camp, along with the Air Force Association, uh, we mentioned that last week. And again, um, it, it's good stuff. High school students, um, if they're interested in in cybers, yeah, then get them to go to the camp. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being able to send my kids to that in, in a few years. So hopefully, this keeps going. But that's Monday through Friday of this week. Uh, next on Friday of this week, SecureSet is doing their Capture the Flag event. And as always, the first hour is kind of an introduction to Capture the Flags and you know give you the, the background to be successful. And then after that is the more uh, senior, experienced, actual Capture the Flag event itself. On the 29th, uh, ISSA Colorado Springs is having their CISSP exam prep course. Uh, we've mentioned this previously as well. Uh, this is a very inexpensive CISSP prep course that Colorado Springs ISSA is offering uh, I believe is this the first weekend. Or this, this is the first. This yep. is the first weekend, so you still have time to get in uh, and get there for all the different. Uh, I think it's five or six weeks that they do this. Yeah, I think it's five weeks. Uh, and I, th- I think if you're a member of ISSA Colorado Springs, it's 120 dollars for all five weeks. If you're a member of the ISSA Denver chapter, it's 210 dollars. So it's really affordable. Uh, and if you're not a member of either, I highly recommend you go join one and get get on top of this. And then uh, the, the last thing on the list this week is, is actually for the, the next week on July 31st through the 8th, the CTA is doing their tech tour. And, and on this tech tour, they really drive around the state and, and do something of an exhibition, uh, getting to know the different cities and talking about what, what's going on in technology in those areas. Uh, so there's different dates for the different stops, but they're, they're going to Colorado Springs, Pueblo, Durango, Montrose, Gunnison, Boulder, really a lot of the uh, maybe not so – uh, metropolitan areas in Denver, but th- that are really showing some interesting uh, action on the tech side. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's not just your normal stops that you would think about. You maybe your uh, your Boulder, Denver, Colorado Springs, Fort Collins, so, maybe, Fort yeah. Collins maybe. Yeah. yeah. So good to see that they're going other places as well. All right, let's, let's dive into jobs for sure. So uh, first on the list, uh, Aero Electronics. Uh, they're looking for a principal security architect. Amazon is hiring a senior security engineer. 
Uh, cool to see Amazon hiring here for security. Uh, Logarithm is looking for a senior security research engineer. And you might get to work with James Carter and Greg Foss, who are uh, not terrible people. Definitely not terrible people. Excel Energy is hiring a senior analyst of threat intelligence. Uh, TIAA, no longer TIAA CREF, um, is hiring a senior director for IT audit. The National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL, is hiring a cloud computing site reliability engineer. Very cool. Yeah, and one of the the focuses of that job is on security. So So uh, definitely cool. Is cloud computing involved somehow with solar power? Is that what's happening here? Clouds get in the way? That's right. I should have stopped this joke a long time. (laughs) Uh, Oppenheimer Funds is looking for a security engineer. And uh, Frontier Airlines is hiring a senior network security engineer. Uh, RIM Technologies, which is not BlackBerry, uh, is looking for a data security specialist. But, but will they let you use a BlackBerry in the job? Uh, potentially. It's it's a government contract, so most likely you'll be using a BlackBerry. Uh, final job for the week, Ping Identity is hiring. Uh, we're actually looking at changing the name from just GRC analyst to security compliance GRC analyst. Really looking for someone who understands security controls, ISO frameworks, can help us uh, help us work to get compliance and assurance around the program at Ping. So you're looking for some more keywords that people are going to hit on in those job searches. You got it, sir. All right. Uh, so that is it for the, the show this week. We're going to dive into the, to the interview next. Uh, Alex, you remember a few weeks ago we talked about a blog post um, about – the anatomy of paying a ransom. Yeah, um, it was an interesting post uh, from Coalfire talking yep. about uh, how they they had to uh, get uh, Bitcoin accounts and find Bitcoins and yeah. trade people and meet in shady alleys. It was really an interesting post. Yeah, so we, the the post was really interesting and walked through what what's it like to try and pay the ransom and how it's not maybe not as easy as you might think. You can't just pull out a credit card. Um, so we actually ended up reaching out to Coalfire and, and getting getting a hold of the their author of that, Bryce Bearshell. And Bryce is the feature interview this week. Talked about his experience on that. Um, learned, you know, while they did help pay the ransom, of course, Coalfire is certainly not advising that someone should pay the ransom and you want to make sure you're setting up your systems ahead of time. And Bryce talks about how we might be able to do that and give some advice for getting ready for a ransomware as well. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Rob. All right. We'll have a good time in Vegas. Hi, this is Debbie Blythe. I'm the CISO for the state of Colorado. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. This is Rob. This is from the uh, Colorado Equal Security Podcast. I hope you guys were able to listen to the show a few weeks ago. Um, I did a, a feature on a on a story that was written here in the Denver area. I think it was called The Anatomy of a, uh, of a Paying a Ransom. Something like that, and I'll let I'll let our guests here talk about that in, in just a little bit. Um, but that covering that story and my you know, interest in it led me to, to reaching out to to my a friend at Coal Fire. Hey, Becca, how you doing? Hope hope, hope you're having a baby soon. Uh, and, and and talking to Bryce, um, who was the author of that story. And, and fortunately, I'm here able to sit with Bryce today at the Ping office downtown. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that story. Talk how, about how Bryce got to where he is in his career. Uh, but first, I want to, to throw it to Bryce. I want to start you off with the question, what in your career are you most proud of? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of events uh, since I started my professional life uh, in 2011 when I graduated college. I, I moved to Hawaii. I uh, got married. I moved to Arizona and then to Florida and then to Colorado. And uh, I guess the proudest 
part of my career uh, would just be the connections and the people I've met and yeah. the, the friends I've made in the co- along with all the, the yeah. work that has been done. So um, it's it's mostly been about the people. Yeah, and, and most most of the good stuff in life is about the people, right? Right. Get the people you get to we get to get to know. Um, so Bryce, uh, what, what's your job? What do you do it for? You know, nine to five. Well, nine to five, uh, I break into networks and I write reports detailing how I broke into them and how people can fix them and avoid that. Yeah. And so this whole uh, kind of idea of, of penetration testing uh, uh, comes as part of that. So I, I you know, do a, a couple different ways of I'm fumbling, but. Um, so, so up to now, my question is, is he doing this and ransoming people to have to pay for it? Or is he doing this for profit for another company? <laughs> <laughs> is, this is, you, you work for Coal Fire, right? Right, right. I, I work for Coal Fire. Uh, and uh, I have worked for them since uh, November of this yeah. this previous year. So about nine months. And you're on their assessment team doing doing pen tests? Right. I'm part of their, their Coal Fire Labs team. Okay. Uh, and we do uh, network penetration tests, uh, app assessments, code reviews, mm-hmm. uh, PCI-related tasks. Yeah. So do you, so for the last since November of last year, um, you've had the opportunity to do a, a range of different tests, and I assume from from the get, from the really focused, um, you know, look at this one application or this one website to, to the more broad-based tests. Do you have that range, or do you have, kind of get into one area there? Well, it's really nice because. Uh, Almost every client that we get is, has a different uh, problem or a different situation or a different set of parameters. And so uh, the work that we end up doing day to day is always uh, something unique, hmm. which, is, which is fun because it keeps you, it keeps you mentally active and focused yeah. on the task. Uh, and it's, it's not a lot of routine work. It's, it's always uh, something new. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. Do you have a, a preference for the kind of engagement you like the best or the kind of engagement you, you like the least? Uh, so I can definitely say that uh, uh, my, my strengths lie in, in network penetration testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had the chance to do a couple social engineering gigs, which is always uh, fun and different. You know, you, you have to take on a persona and, and change who you are over the telephone and talk to people. And that, uh, that's always fun to do. Yeah. Uh, so, so probably the, the network pen testing is what you're best at. The social engineering is the most fun part of it. Right. <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the what would you say is more effective if you had if you had to you know pick one technique to get into a company? What's the what's the technique you'd use? Uh, the number one would easily be uh, spear phishing. Sure. So you research, do some OSINT on you know who your targets are. So what, what's OSINT? Uh, so open source intelligence gathering. Yeah. Uh, and what, give me some examples of how you would do OSINT on a company. Well, uh, one thing, uh, people are very proud to post their achievements, their accomplishments, and their connections to, say, their LinkedIn page. Sure. And so uh, you can build a, a graph of a company uh, and who does what, who's associated where, and almost a, uh, an organizational chart just by uh, looking at various social media sites right. that people post uh, their job connections, and how would you use how would you use that intel to help you craft a spear phishing? Well, uh, say for one of the last ones I did, uh, I pretended to be someone's boss, and hmm. I said, "Hey, you need to do this, uh, right, and get this done by Friday, uh, so you know, make it happen." And here's this link, here's this this uh, attachment, and it had an embedded uh, 
uh, script inside of it that uh, threw me back a remote shell. Yeah. And so I was able to break in that way. So were you sending it from a typo squatted domain or, or how were you sending the email from their boss? Uh, so uh, there's a couple different ways and we can work with uh, people depending on their situation. If they have a, a rock solid uh, uh, appliance in place that blocks a lot of the known attacks it will stop all attachments it will right. throw all that out it will blacklist unless it's from a known associated site uh, we can either you know push those out internally so that we're actually testing people and people's education which is at the end of the day they, the people are really what matter uh, or uh, yeah we would create like a, a domain um, and uh, it, you know off by one letter or right. something like that from the company so it looks like you know your company's HR or your company's benefits portal right and uh, get you in there steal your credentials and then start breaking in that way sure so you so you uh, in, in the example you're talking about you said hey I'm your boss click this link go do this work the person clicked the link presumably from what you're saying yeah we, we had pretty good results from that and uh, it was it oh it wasn't one person it was a lot of people you did this from right okay I got you what percentage of, of clicks did you get? Uh, so on average, we'll get between five and twenty percent. Okay. Um, I, I I've only uh, been doing this uh, full time for nine months, yeah. so I, I don't have a lot of data to come from. But it, yeah. I get the general sensation that that's the level. So of the industry. you know, five percent is actually pretty good from a, a compared to baseline perspective. Right. But all you got to do is think. Well, that means if I have, if I send it to twenty people. I'm probably going to get someone to, right. <laughs> to click right. my link, and that just that doesn't feel quite as good, right? Since you you know we've got hundreds or thousands of people in our organizations, right, right. And a well researched and well thought out email is better than any O day or right any any other type of attack because humans are at the end of the day your weakest link. Yeah. So you mentioned you you moved around a little bit. You said uh, Hawaii, Arizona, Florida, Colorado. Yeah. Um, so how, how, why number one Hawaii, right? Why do you go to Hawaii? Oh, so I, I just graduated from school. Uh, I was working as part of my university as an information security analyst, and I got a job offer for uh, to do security work in Hawaii. And yeah. That's a no-brainer. You, you take it, right? Yeah, absolutely. What, which, I, which island? Uh, Oahu. So yeah. I, I was... Waikiki-ish then? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. I, I grew up in this cold mountain town, and I hated the cold, and I was... Where'd you, you know, grow up? Bitter about it. Uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. Okay. And uh, I got this chance to go to this beautiful island paradise, and I, I was all right. I'm, I'm doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing. <laughs> There's not even no looking back. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I did that for a couple years. Uh, worked for a, a health uh, insurance company, like a BCBS provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, then transitioned over to security consulting, uh, and then uh, the company I was working for uh, got bought out by another company. Uh, and at the same point in time, uh, my mother got very sick. And mm-hmm. so I ended up moving back to Arizona to help take care of her. Uh, and she's, she's great now. She's Good. great. Uh, Good. But, uh, yeah, that was an interesting transition. And then once in Arizona, I said, I, I reevaluated, like, what am I doing? I, I, because of the buyout, my job had transitioned from um, information security to more of just a programmer. Okay. Or, and, yeah, you know, that's, that's great. But, you know, your career path, you know, that you look at and say, all right, here's where I want to be in 10 years. And that wasn't where I wanted to be in 10 years. So, yeah. so I transitioned out of there and I, I found a, uh, a company in Florida where a lot of uh, the people I had met at DEF CON worked at. And hmm. It was fairly well respected. And so we worked there for two years and 
eventually the heat got to us. And so mm. we, we, me and my wife, we said, all right, we got to get out of Florida. <laughs> yeah, it's the heat, but the humidity and maybe worst of all, the bugs were a lot of, were a lot of oh, bugs. Yeah. The insects. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can't see yeah. the insects. That's why Colorado is the best. We, we have very few insects and no humidity. Yeah. Like mosquito netting around everything. And yeah. It was, it was quite surprising. So did you move here last November or was that? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Great. Drove across country and. Awesome. Braved the big Kansas yeah. kind of flatland. So before we started recording, you mentioned uh, that it was kind of right after you got on board that you had the opportunity to help out with that ransomware story. I'd love to ha- hear from, you know, how did you get involved there? And then let's just talk through what happened. Well, uh, so I think it happened on Thursday, the 29th. Oh, of what month? 29th of December. Okay. Oh, New Year's. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Mike Weber, our vice president, uh, walked out and said, hey, does anybody know about Bitcoin? Uh, we have somebody who just got ransomed. We need, you know, we're, we need to explore all these options, but I need someone who understands Bitcoin and everything that goes around that uh, in order to, uh, you know, if they want to go down this route of paying the ransomers, then we yeah. need to make sure we can do that. Uh, and I, I had done... So were you guys in, already engaged to help with incident response on this? Is that, is that what happened? Uh, that's a little fuzzy. I, I believe so. Yeah, okay. That would make sense. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I raised my hand timidly going like, all right, I've done some trading uh, because I, I had done some algo trading between exchanges uh, before Mt. Gox collapsed. Hmm. Uh, and I had gotten out for a couple years because I saw you know, Mt. Gox collapse and all yeah. that hundreds of millions of dollars of Bitcoin being stolen. So I said, all right, this isn't a good safe investment for me personally. Right. And I moved towards uh, <laughs> something more traditional. Right. right, exactly. But since I had that experience in my back pocket, I, I said, hey, I, you know, at least I know the territory. And Mike said, all right, <laughs> we're getting on a conference call right now. Let's do this. And so uh, we got on a, a conference call with uh, the top honchos of this company. And uh, we kind of did like an assessment of the situation and uh, which servers had gotten compromised, how they think they got compromised, uh, and what sort of uh, ransomware was in place. Yeah. Uh, was it one ransomware, you, the same piece of ransomware everywhere, basically? Yes. Yes. Sure. And I think uh, at the end of the day, we traced it back to some sort of variant of the SamSam ransomware. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but... It, it used very strong encryption, and uh, we did a little auditing of the, uh, the the files that had left over, and they were fully encrypted because hmm. uh, they used uh, RSA 2048 to encrypt it. And so, uh, you know, there's there's not a lot you can do with that. And so the company kind of went back and forth and said, "All right, uh, we don't have backups," uh, and. The, uh, the pseudo nightly backups that they had uh, were also encrypted as well because the attackers were fairly thorough. Yeah. Uh, and so if, how, they backed up. How did they get the backup copies? Is it was it locally stored or what it was, was, it it was on a network share that was just open on the machine because the machine because it was it was mapped to the network share and then it it, it encrypted all of the mapped network drives. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Makes sense. And uh, you know, it's just it it hurts to see. That sort of <laughs> yeah 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 uh, so painful so yeah we but a lesson it. for all of us right and we can well, talk about that a little bit later yeah exactly <laughs> there was a lot of hemming and hawing but at, at the end of the day the uh, the company said hey we're losing money right now 
yeah. uh, and we're losing more money than it would cost to pay the ransom. So mm-hmm. we're paying the ransom. Make it happen. And so from there, uh, uh, Mike and I uh, sat down and we said, okay, right, here's what we can do to try and alleviate the risk on the company's part and also make sure that we get the data back as fast as possible because it's, you know, it's a ticking clock. The company's losing money. We need to you know, pay the ransom and get everything moving forward. So uh, the first thing we did was uh, the ransomers had set out like a, a kind of a pay-as-you-go scale uh, for the, mm-hmm. uh, the money. And so I believe it was around 1.7 Bitcoin for one server, 14 for half of all the servers, or 28 for everything. Yeah. And so we said, all right, we'll buy the smallest amount possible. You yeah. know, it was 1.7 Bitcoin was, uh, I forget, it was around two grand at the time, 2,200. Okay. Uh, the, the prices have definitely spiked up now, the, uh, the ransomers. What's, what's one now? Uh, around $2,600, Okay. Uh, so if, I mean, if that had happened now, they, yeah. the company would be shelling out a lot more money. But I think at the time, uh, the end cost of everything was around thirty three, thirty five thousand. 35000 Okay. Something like that. And, you know, and it, I don't know how big this company was, and I don't want to ask you any questions that might identify the company. So we'll leave that to the side. But, you know, for, for many companies... $30,000 is nothing, right? Right. That's, it's chump change. It, and if you're talking about being out of operations for an hour, a day, a week, $30,000 is a no-brainer. We're going to pay it. Right. Um, there are, but the other side, right, there's lots of companies where $30,000, you know, that's either everything. on a small budget or a very small company that's, you know, if, if it's your um, from your home, you know, making little doodads that you sell by yourself, that $30,000 is maybe your profit for a year. Right. So it, it, it context is everything there. It's true. It's true. So yeah, I, I believe it was on the order of just not, not just a huge total, not a huge total, deal. total change that the company, uh, they were more inconvenienced by not being able to pay it. Right. Um, and the, the potential damage to their brand as well wasn't even worth that yeah. that that amount of money. So they went forward and they said, "All right, pay the ransom, guys." So we set out and uh, uh, we obtained 1.7 Bitcoin. Uh, I had a friend and I said, "Hey, buddy, I, I I need to buy some Bitcoin, and mm-hmm. unless you have money sitting on Coinbase, yeah, which we did a lot of our transactions on, uh, it takes about a week to get Bitcoin." So let's talk about that a little bit. You, you you have to have already like deposited money to coin to Coinbase. You can't just have like the account linkage set up. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, IRS changed some rules uh, a year and a half, two years ago, and so Bitcoin exchanges in the United States are classified as uh, money transmitting businesses, and so they have to comply with all the anti fraud regulation, which Bitcoin was kind of. That's kind of the core driver for Bitcoin is anonymous transactions yeah. that you know sometimes include fraud mm-hmm. as an understatement. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that the whole uh, check process uh, that the exchanges do, say Coinbase for one, uh, they'll take your driver's license or a passport and then they'll run checks against you. And if they find stuff, they they're not going to give you money or yeah. they're not going to give you the account. Um, so. I had already set up a Coinbase account, but I didn't have money sitting on it. And Were to do you, that, had you set it up personally for yourself? Personally, yeah. right. Uh, and uh, just because I didn't have money sitting on it to do a wire transfer, it would have been a couple days, uh, and then the buying process would have taken longer. So my buddy just said, "Hey, on our friendship, 
here's the bitcoins, pay me back a little bit more when you get a chance. Okay. Uh, and so we, we bought one server using that Bitcoin. And it, it was really interesting, the whole buying process, because uh, the ransomers had set up a, a site on Tor, uh, which uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was really weird. It was like going back to the 90s because there's no JavaScript on the majority of the web pages on Tor. Uh, and so it was kind of this this throwback, this ancient kind of HTML, yeah. uh, you know, table built page, no active content at all, and it was just little chat things. And you know, you type something, and then a couple hours later, the ransomers would get back to you and say, "All yeah. right, here we'll get you this server." Um, so we initially wanted to buy the most the company's most valuable server, which for them was one of their their primary SQL clusters, sure, uh, where they had all their you know, important things. Yeah. Uh, the, the most business critical core. Right. Uh, so, uh, but unfortunately the attackers knew that. And so <laughs> because of the host names on all the devices that they had uh, uh, taken uh, and encrypted, uh, they, they excluded uh, SQL and backup systems from hmm. uh, that kind of piecemeal buying of the yeah. servers. They said, all right, Look, if you want a SQL server or a backup server, you're gonna have to pay the whole thing. The whole twenty-eight thousand or the fourteen thousand or the, the whole uh, twenty-eight bitcoins. Oh, twenty-eight bitcoins. About Excuse thirty-five. Me. Yeah. Yeah. So we said, all right. Well, we don't really want to throw money at you and you not give us start nothing, there, yeah. right? I mean, you guys are criminals, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so we said, all right, all right. We put our heads together and we said, all right, give us a domain controller. And surprisingly, they they were okay with that, and so they gave us a domain controller for one point seven, and. Uh, we uh, they, the decryption program that they gave us was a little um, well. Let me back up. Let me back up. First, initially, they allowed us to decrypt two files for free, hmm. uh, and so we just two files, huh? Two files to prove that they were actually encrypted. So, so all of the files had a different encryption key. How do they do that? Uh, so it appeared that the keys were based on server. So right. each server had a different key. And so when we wanted to decrypt two files, we sent them two of the encrypted files. They decrypted them. Oh, they them decrypted them. And threw them back at okay, us. Okay, that makes sense. Right, right. And so we did that, and it, it was enough to prove. Well, like, we couldn't get any big files because they limited the size to, like, 10 megs or something. Okay. So we couldn't give them a SQL database yeah, like yeah, we yeah. were hoping. Uh, but they, they got us back to that, and then we said, all right, you guys at least have the capability of doing this. Yeah. Let's move forward. Then we paid the money for the first server, and uh, then they, they got us the keys for that. And it was like a little program, and it had it just looked for every single file on the hard drive, and then it looked for a key file uh, that was sitting next to it in the same directory, and then just applied that key file to decrypt each of the files. And it decrypted them in place, so it meant that on, say, like a, a big server with a lot of data yeah. on it, you need to have double yeah. the space so that all your files can decrypt. Otherwise, you just run out of drive space. Uh, hmm. And so it was it was an interesting kind of... If you had, if you had anything less than 50% available capacity... Right, it wouldn't... You'd, you'd fail at some point. Right. So there was, there was a big kind of... A two-pronged effort of us continuing on this path of like, all right, let's keep buying more things, and then the the sysadmins on the company side were like, all right, we need to free up some disk space, and they 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 did their work and we did ours. But uh, how much work was that? The the sysadmins getting, a, I mean, 
Are we talking virtual servers or physical servers? Um, I believe it was a combination of both. Because I assume for a virtual server, it's not too rough. You could, right, you could you just, just give it more space. But for physical servers, yeah, you're kind of hosed. Yeah, you've got to take stuff off or ha- add hard drives. or. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, taking stuff off isn't so easy when it's encrypted, right? Like, <laughs> Well, so the, the way the files were encrypted was uh, they were they would uh, encrypt them in place. So you have like, you know, test.exe. Test.exe would be encrypted and remain on the drive. Uh, and then there'd be a little ransomware note attached uh, in the same directory. Uh, and to decrypt it, it would just look at that test.exe, decrypt it, and then re- rename it mm-hmm. test decrypted.exe. Right. Uh, and so if you were able to pull each of those files off, like the systems were you all decrypted running. somewhere else later right. on a different drive because exactly. you have the key and it was it'll, okay. That makes right. sense, right? So the, what a pain in the butt! Yeah, I know, I know, and it 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 shows that the attackers are pretty smart because they didn't encrypt the entire drive, so the systems wouldn't boot. Right? They, they only encrypted um, the the data, yeah, the critical data, and so the the real indicator for this company to see that it was happening was all of a sudden their services started going down because yeah. you know, all of a sudden this, this SQL server would shut down and then wouldn't come back up. And yeah. and, and as, as that chain of events started colliding, they, they said, all right, maybe we've been hacked. And then they discovered the ransom notes. Yeah. So okay. uh, once once we got uh, that one server and we, f- we fully decrypted it and it, it was good to go, uh, we, we said, all right, Time's running out. Let's let's do, the, you know, half and then the other half. Okay. Uh, and so the company said, "All right, uh, just be prepared to do both. Don't don't just find small piecemeal amounts of Bitcoin. Actually, get a lot. Go of get it. all twenty-eight Bitcoin. Right, because we want to follow the risk process. The risk, you know, kind of the step-by-step implementation. Right. So they could reduce it, reduce the risk. Uh, but at the same time, they knew they wanted everything decrypted. Yeah. Because they, they, they were losing money, they need to get it back up. So, uh, I I contacted uh, the same buddy that I got uh, the one point seven from and said, "Hey man, can you help me out?" Yeah. And fortunately, this guy was a long term kind of Bitcoin investor, mm-hmm. uh, and he had a lot of Bitcoin, uh, almost enough to cover the entire situation, but. Uh, but he had, I think, uh, 25 Bitcoin. Hmm. And I said, hey, man, look, all right, we're in kind of a pickle here. Uh, we need it stat if, if you know, because we, we could get the 25 on a row. Yeah. But it would take uh, two to three weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, and especially for large sums of money, we wanted to make sure that someone officially at Coal Fire, like a VP or someone someone in a position of authority has reigns over the account. It's not my personal account. Yeah. Uh, and then they have to go through the whole authentication process for the IRS uh, MTB mm-hmm. portion, uh, and then uh, they'd actually have to wire the money and get the money transferred. And so it's a whole time problem we're looking at. I said, and so I I, talk, I talked to my buddy and I said, hey, can you do this for us? Uh, we'll get you a contract. We'll make everything you know legit above the board. And he said he said all right. And so we we ended up getting all of that done. I mean, it, this whole this whole scenario took place, I think, over three days or two days. Yeah, so this company's down these three days plus however many days it was before this, before you got started. Right, right. And then how many days afterwards that they did the whole incident response and the – because – you know, there's there's always that thing in the back of your mind saying like, we just paid off one set of ransomers. Is someone else going to come in do yeah. the exact same thing? Are they going to do it again yeah. so they can keep milking? How, us? how quickly can we get our 
Right. Can we get our backups trustworthy and saved in a safe place? Yeah. Right. Right. So you got 25 bitcoins from your buddy. Right. And then um, we fished around. We went to a couple of places around town because there's there's a network of Bitcoin ATMs around town. What is, what is a Bitcoin ATM? Uh, so there's one in Boulder. There's one, I think, in Commerce City. There's a couple scattered around, and it looks like a normal ATM. You go up to it. You put money into it. and You put it, money into it, though, instead of taking it out of it. Yeah. Well, you can do both. You can okay. do both. Uh, uh, and uh, so say you put money in, and it'll pop up with a QR code hmm. that uh, you scan with one of your Bitcoin apps on your phone, say, like your Coinbase or your Bread Wallet or any of the other mm-hmm. um, apps and that is a it's a uh, it's a transaction that you is essentially pays you the bitcoin okay uh, and so uh, we we went around and we looked at the ATMs and it turned out that due to the same IRS MTB uh, problems that the uh, the bitcoin network here locally in the Denver Boulder area uh, only processed about twenty dollars of Bitcoin a day for new accounts. Twenty dollars a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we were a new account because I, you know, I had just moved here. I, yeah. I, I had an occasion to go use it, and yeah. until then, um, so we we started looking. We started dredging the barrel, and we went to Craigslist, and we found a guy. <laughs> found a guy on Craigslist who said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll sell you the Bitcoin. Meet me at this coffee shop." Uh, and uh, we, we showed up, we had a couple of grand in cash, and he had a gun, and we, we sat down, we got drinks. Wait, was he was it carrying a, uh, yeah, he was, on a tip, whatever? Yeah, he was, he was openly carrying. Yeah. And uh, so we sat down, counted out the money, we transferred the Bitcoin, and uh, we sat there for about 30, 45 minutes to wait for the network to confirm the transaction, and yeah. then uh, walked our separate ways. It was, it was really weird. So, how, so what's the <laughs> transaction like? You know, if Bitcoin was trading for a thousand dollars, how much more did you have to pay this random guy to come walk to a coffee shop to meet you? Oh, I I forget exactly his rates. I, it was definitely above fifteen percent. I think it was about twenty twenty five percent more. So you know, an extra two hundred dollars or whatever per Bitcoin. Right. And now it would be an extra five hundred dollars per Bitcoin. Exactly. And you bought three Bitcoin from him. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's that's good good money for him. Right. It, it's great for sitting down in an afternoon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, it's just that supply and demand problem. He had it at yeah. the time, and we we didn't. So and and for the company, your, for your client, it's well worth their you know the extra twenty percent to get get it fast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because at the end of the day, they, they don't care about the the minor ins and outs of each right. transaction. They they want this overall goal to happen, and so yeah. So you, you now you have twenty eight bitcoin. What do you do next? Oh well, so all right, Saturday night at about four in the morning. <laughs> uh, we so let me let me back up just a little bit. So we we paid the ransomers at about six or seven p.m. Uh, and sent them a note saying, "All right, here's your here's your transaction. Here's the link to it. It's been confirmed on the network. Send us the keys." Yeah. Uh, and so wait for. Did you do fourteen or twenty-eight? Uh, ooh. I think you said you I were. Think, gonna... I think at that point we just did twenty-eight. Okay. We were originally going to go with the fourteen and then fourteen. Yeah. But you know the clock was running down, and the company just said, "Hey, let's 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 pull the trigger on it. Let's do it." Yeah. Uh, so we did, and uh, I think it took about nine or ten hours for them. And I was checking this tour site every 15, 20 minutes for you know nine hours, 
uh, until about four in the morning when they, they finally saw it and then they released the keys. Mm-hmm. And they put them on a, uh, like a file dropper site uh, and said, here's, here's your download link, uh, go for it. Have a nice day. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> that was it. So we so, didn't... so early Sunday morning, you guys get your keys. Right, right. And so we have this big conference call. We, we get on with the sysadmins. We, we do kind of a WebXE sort of thing. And then we, we instruct the sysadmins how to you know decrypt a server. They do it. We watch it live. It works. Yeah. And then the their, their internal sysadmin team takes over and works throughout the night and uh, gets their all their systems up and running. Basically, all day Sunday, they're working on it. Right. All, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's when, I guess, everything ended. And then we, we ended up uh, getting uh, a, a very good, like, corporate account on Coinbase setup. Yeah. Paid my buddy back uh, and uh, got all, all the accounts uh, kind of so it is, equalized. I don't know if this is a question you guys want to answer. Does Coalfire now have a Coinbase account ready to go for the next time? Yeah, we do. We have an insanely huge limit that we can we can push a a, a massive wire transfer to Coinbase and get stuff with quickly. Them. Yeah, within yeah. a day. So, if anybody is looking and you've encountered this problem, here's here's my pitch: come come to us and we can help you out. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's nice to know. I, I know if you decide you want to pay, you know, as you guys have illustrated, paying is not that easy. So it's nice to have someone who can do that for you and, and you know, maybe not put you at fear of your life with <laughs> right, right. <laughs> at a coffee shop somewhere. Yeah, it was, it was that was a very interesting situation. Um, so so I, as I mentioned a couple times, you know, you, you I found out it's because of the blog post. How did you end up writing a blog post? I, I'm guessing you're not a normal blogger on the Coal Fire blog. No, not at all. I, I wrote it up actually as kind of a uh, – a history of events, yeah. Uh, because uh, I wanted to make sure everyone knew where the money came from, where the money went. So just kind of as a part of the IR process, you wrote this up in, for internal use. Is that what I'm saying? Right, right. So originally it was just yeah, back in documentation to make sure yeah. everybody was paid, my buddy was happy. Mm-hmm. You know, Coal Fire had you know their account settled, right? Um, and the company knew how much they owed us, right? So it was kind of more of that internal yeah. side, and then then Mike Weber uh, poked me in the, the ribs and said, "Hey, hey, Bryce, you know, you should turn this into a blog post." And yeah, I said, well, all right. <laughs> well, he's right. I mean, this is a this is obviously super timely and uh, super interesting and educational. Uh, did you learn anything through this? I was I was really surprised at how hard it was to get Bitcoin quickly hmm. because you know I. I I had you know an account set up in the past. I had done trading in the past, and it was all always a lot easier. But this was pre 2015-2016 IRS regulations, yeah. uh, and so times have definitely changed. And so yeah, it's it's a little bit harder now to get Bitcoin. Any tips for companies out there that you know that that are that have never really thought about this? What should they be doing, or should is there anything they should be doing here? Yeah. So backups, uh, air gapped backups, not on your network. Or offline, uh, don't don't not back up, back up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because uh, it's 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 less of a payment problem, you know, uh, and it's more of a uh, continuity of business problem. Right. It only becomes a payment problem if your backups and business continuity have failed, right? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> if it becomes a payment problem, then something else is broken along the way. That's great. Yeah, and, it, and it, there's there's a couple of lessons learned, like. Uh, the, the, the company that we were working with didn't have a full understanding of how many systems 
were broken into. And when the attacker sent us a list of keys, yeah. it was almost double the amount of systems wow. they thought were compromised. Wow. Uh, and so, so you're saying the attackers have a better asset inventory than yes, <laughs> than the good guys do, <laughs> which is <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's unbelievable, but it's really easy to believe, <laughs> right? And it's, it's just one of those things where, yeah. Um, yeah, and and they didn't have any sort of uh, intrusion detection on the network level or on the system level, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, depending on your situation, there's there's a call for either or or, but. Uh, they, they really didn't have an understanding of it until it was fully upon them. If they had known just a little bit sooner, they could have uh, potentially shut down machines that weren't encrypted yet right. and saved themselves some money. But yeah. yeah, fair enough. Well, great. This is this has been awesome. I appreciate you sharing. Um, we, we talked. We were talking before. You know, we, we have a great community here in Denver. Hopefully, you can get to go out and maybe talk to the local ISSA or talk to the Cloud Security Alliance or. Um, the OWASP guys, I think this would be an interesting story and some of the learnings you've had. Uh, I recommend you you look into doing that and uh, hopefully we'll catch you around town. Yeah, sounds good. All right, Bryce, thanks a lot. Thanks. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.